unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing good. And well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to spoil the spoil the surprise, but I was looking at the notes for today's episode, and this one looks like it's going to be a, another Grand Slam episode. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Okay, well... Let me take you back to before you were born in the early 1960s when my dad and I used to sit down once a week in the Garfinkel living room and watch a TV show on Channel 9 called Perry Mason. Perry Mason, it was about a criminal defense attorney in L.A. who always ended up with a client falsely accused of committing murder. By the end of each show, Perry Mason would find the real culprit and nail the bad guy in court and get his innocent client set free. It was a pretty cool show. And I always thought I could never be as smart as Perry Mason. And it still might be true. But as we look at the evidence, we have to consider the possibility that members of his team, Dallas Street and Paul Drake, might have been the brains behind Perry And the brains behind all of them was a writer named Earl Stanley Gardner. And besides creating the characters on TV, Gardner was, for a time, the world's best-selling author, with more than 300 million books sold. Now, it turns out that the great Scottish copywriter, Colin Joss, gave me a heads up about a very special book called Secrets of the World's Best-Selling Writer, The Storytelling Techniques of Earl Stanley Gardner by Francis L. and Roberta B. Fugate. And we'll have a link to the Amazon page for this book on the Copywriters Podcast website. Francis and Roberta Fugate, the authors, went through cartons of notes that Gardner made throughout his long career. Turns out Gardner may have worked harder than any writer in history, not in writing books, but in developing and refining step-by-step methods to write stories that millions of people would love. I went through their book and I found a few nuggets that not only apply to writing fiction, but are at least as useful in writing copy. And anything that spells out the thinking of someone who sold more than 300 million books is worth listening to. So that's what today's show, Perry Mason Copywriting Secrets, are all about. Now, if Perry Mason were a real lawyer and he were alive today, I'm sure he would not disagree with this very important opening argument. Ladies and gentlemen of the Copywriters Podcast, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review. That's the part Perry would like, a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. 
So Nathan, let me let me tell you about Gardner's history. He and I have one thing almost in common. He got kicked out of college after just one month. I didn't get kicked out, but I just hit the road after three weeks. I went back. He didn't. He moved from Indiana, where he was going to school at Valparaiso University, to California. And here in California, I don't know if this is true anywhere else, but in California, you can become a lawyer, a member of the bar, without going to college or law school if you pass the bar exam. And he did that. And two years later, he was admitted to the California bar. He practiced law for 12 years, but he started freelancing as his third year as a lawyer. And as a freelancer, he had some pretty sharp business sense. One time, someone asked why his heroes would always finish off the bad guy, the last bullet in their guns. And he said, at three cents a word, every time I say bang in the story, I get three cents. And you you think I'm going to finish the gun battle while my hero still has 15 cents worth of unexploded ammunition in his gun? You're nuts. (laughs) Cool, huh? So... Uh, Gardner struggled a long time to figure out how to get it right, and he took some abuse along the way, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later on. He was never a literary writer. Um, if there's anyone here who has a master's or a PhD in English here, I mean, listening to this podcast, they're going to wish we never talked about Earl Stanley Gardner. Uh, critics didn't love him, and some of his editors weren't too sure about him, but his readers did. They loved what he did. He kept meticulous notes on how to make writing work in the marketplace. And we're going to go over a few of his most important discoveries today because they'll really help copywriters too, as you you shall soon see. So I think his most important invention was his five-point checklist for the perfect plot. Work on every plot until you have one, an opening incident, an unusual opening incident, two, Complete character conflict. Three, some emotional appeal. Four, some unusual slant of characters and situations. And five, all stock situations eliminated. That's sort of an old word, stock, the way I'm using it. It means standard, normal, cliche, shop-worn. Make a genuine reader suspense in which he doesn't know he or she, but this was, you know, way back when, when sexism was de rigueur, he doesn't know what will happen next and is either surprised by what does happen or the way in which it happened. Okay, that's, that's an interesting list, right? Unusual opening incident, complete character conflicts, some emotional appeal, some unusual slant of characters or situations, and all stock situations eliminated. So, what can we get out of this list for copywriting? I mean, the the list, the checklist is for fiction, but there's a lot in here that will also help copywriters to improve their engagement and their conversions. Let's talk about unusual opening incident. For a copywriter, that means a hook or headline that's a little different from what they've seen before. Now, again, if you get too bizarre and people can't relate to it or understand it, That's not good. But if it's a little different, it's a slight tweak, and it's not an obvious, you know, cynical reframe, but there's actually 
some, you know, sincerity and authenticity in how you've redone it. That can really work. Of course, again, the, the problem with making something unusual, it comes when you swipe too closely. You need to bring some of your originality into it. What comes to mind is the pattern interrupt when you're digging through 15 different emails that you got this morning, or you're going to Facebook and you're looking at 105 different posts. The one that interrupts, the one that catches you off guard is the one that's going to get your attention. And as a copywriter and as a storyteller, the ability to do that right at the beginning is so important. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that puts it in perfect perspective. Now, in his formula, Gardner talks about complete character conflicts. So, you know, it's not like, well, I wanted to go there making a left turn and she wanted me to make a right turn. No, I mean, you know, serious deep conflicts. I think an equivalent or a springboard from that in copywriting is fully getting into who your prospect is, not like, you know, reading some demographic data or doing a survey with two questions on it, but really understanding the person, really understanding at a deep personal level what their problems are, what other kind of problems these initial problems are causing, and what that does to their lives. You know, really, you know, last time we had Ben Settle on and he was talking about creating complete worlds. I think an important part of that idea is understanding the world that the prospect lives in, not necessarily one you're creating, but the one that they have created in their mind to explain what's going on around them. Okay, let's look at another thing. The reader doesn't know what happens next and is surprised either by what happens or how it happens. Well, in a mystery, that's exactly right. Um, in copy, you, you, know, you don't want to get so carried away with a, a fascinating story that you lose the thread of making the sale. But one way to adapt this is to have some twist or turn or unexpected benefit of the product, how your product makes what was impossible before possible, or how your product solves an important problem in a new and better way. Do you like that? Um, do you like that five-point list that he has? Yeah, and then the point on the last one, um, having having a product that has a USP that specifically solves a common frustration in a market. Everybody knows that when you try to solve this problem or when you try to when you buy this particular niche of a product, it's a great product except for this one flaw that all of the other ones out there. And when you say, "Hey," By the way, that one thing that everybody's frustrated with, we figured out a way to solve that. That totally blows their expectations and can be the thing that makes them go with you rather than your competition. That, that's a great point. And, and that's, that's the surprise. That's the equivalent of the plot twist that leads to a lot of sales. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. 
pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. So, you know, he tried everything. This is, this is a guy who is as much of a, a mad scientist in a writing lab as an actual practitioner of publishing fiction. And he found, I think, as much through experience as from looking at other successful books and short stories, because they used to publish a lot of short stories at the time that he was writing, he found themes. He found 14 different themes. And I'm going to list them in, and we're going to put them on the Copywriters Podcast website. And then we'll look at a theme and we'll look at a few motivations because he also has a list of motivations, but let's get to the themes first. Um, again, this is written a long time ago in a slightly different language, uh, use of the same language, English. So number one, tis sport to see the engineer hoist by his own petard. In other words, the villain who overreaches him Two, man in position of power, abusing that power and tripped up three, the old man who is still young. Four, man who champions the underdog. Five, why don't you speak for yourself, John? Six, the ugly duckling who becomes beautiful. Seven, man who renounces reward and is doomed to independent loneliness. Eight. Oh, I think I skipped number six. No, I didn't. Uh, eight. Downtrodden person suddenly asserting himself. Nine, the race is not always to the swift. Ten, virtue is its own reward. Eleven, there's many a slip twixt cup and lip. Twelve, haste makes waste. Thirteen, he who hesitates is lost. And fourteen, fair heart never won a fair lady. Okay, um, that's quite a list. Again, it's on, on the website if you you know, weren't able to stop your car and take notes on the shoulder of the freeway. And then here are motivations. Number one, these are motivations that make for very good selling stories. Okay. One, wealth. Two, happy sex companionship. Three, justice. Four, food. Five, happiness of environment. Six, opportunity to get ahead. Seven, self-improvement. Eight, wisdom knowing more than another man, nine, influence, 10, put the overbearing boss in his place, 11, physical perfection or improvement, 12, domination of environment, mastery of others, and 13, triumph of the underdog. So, you know, those could sound like fairly long, sterile lists, but if you dig deep into any one of those points, you will find a lot of stories. And I think a lot of copy. Um, I mean, so Nathan, 
I don't know that much about comic books. You know a lot. You probably read them. You you watch movies based on comic book characters more than I do. I mean, do any of those things ring true to you before we get into the copy part? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the probably the ones that really resonate are the the desire for justice, the triumph of the overdog or the triumph of the underdog. Um, putting the overbearing boss in his place. I know that, especially in opportunity marketing, putting the overbearing boss in his place is one of the hugest selling points. So a lot of these, they work great for stories, but they also, the reason they work great for stories is because they speak to a a deeper part of our own conscious, of our own consciousness. And that is also what we want to do when we're trying to connect with people in our in our sales copy. Yeah, I agree. That's that's why I pulled them out of the book. I thought, okay, maybe it's not a hundred percent overlap, but it's pretty close. And a lot of people don't think that way. They usually don't teach this in school or on Madison Avenue. Now they probably do teach this in Baltimore, right? And and I'm I'm talking about Agora and all their trainings. But um, for a lot of people who haven't had that opportunity, I, I thought this would be a good short course. Let's look at. At, at, at what you said, let's go a little deeper on what you said about justice and overbearing boss and underdog guy and stuff. So um, for story theme number four, the man who champions the underdog, boy, you know, I mean, there are so many examples of that. Think about Joe Carbo's classic ad, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches, where, you know, he used to be under the wheel you know, working for the man, uh, deeply in debt, and then he turned it around, and he wants to show you how to do the same thing. So that's sort of at the popular uh, consumer B2B level or business opportunity level. Um, In the financial space, I've seen some very successful letters from financial publishers where the guru is an ex-Wall Street superstar. And he's had it with the big wigs, and he wants to help the ordinary investor get a good return. So, you know, it, and and I'm I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm saying that works. People make a lot of sales that way for exactly the reason you mentioned. These all of these themes are rumbling around in our unconscious mind, and unconscious means we don't know about them, right? There, but we resonate with them when when we hear them. So let's let's talk about um, motivations. Motivation number six: the opportunity to get ahead. Um, well, that's pretty obvious that a business opportunity offer is exactly that. Now, whether or not it works is a whole nother question. Some do, some don't, but um, that just ties right in. Um, motivation number eleven: physical perfection or improvement. Well. You know, what's bodybuilding about if that's not what it's about, right? So, and, you know, there's a whole niche of bodybuilding uh, info products, and there's a whole subset of supplements that are specifically there for bodybuilding. Well, there's also something that ties all of this together and comic books the insult that made a man out of Mac, that old. Uh, it was a piece of sales copy that was disguised to look like a comic book strip about the kid that got beat up at the beach by the bully and yeah. ended up taking self-defense classes or bodybuilding so that he could get better 
and reach that physical perfection. So all of these really, they kind of tie together. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons, and we're going to get into this next, um, actually, no, what we're going to get into is, is how Earl Stanley Gardner, you know, even though he wasn't educated in college, he was still educated as a lawyer. He had to pass the bar and he had to live in that, you know, high abstraction world of the law. He, you know, his editors were right there with the marketplace. They weren't there with the, you know, the New York Review of Books, right? And so um, they had to tamp him down to ground level and say, hey, really, you know, cut the morality seminar in, in your stories. Let's, let's get down to real life. One gem that I picked up in this book that I thought was great was uh, the authors called it don't give your reader a headache. And what they meant was, don't make your reader think. Because Gardner wasn't always a good popular writer. He failed multiple times at first. His early tries were too cerebral, too thought-provoking for the markets he was writing for. And he got some serious literary smackdowns in rejection letters from his editors, one of whom later went on to work for The New Yorker. And there are some good lessons for copywriters in this. Here's what the editor said. This one was from Harry North, a letter to Earl Stanley Gardner. And North later became an editor at The New Yorker. He wrote, Regarding this story, I think it's a peach, but I do not know where you are going to get it published. If you could once appreciate the fact that the publisher of Black Mask is printing the magazine to make money and nothing else, perhaps you would be able to more nearly guess our needs. Your story, Greed of the Gods, is too much of an incentive to think to be of interest to our readers. Now, I am sure you wouldn't want to cause them any headaches. Okay? Boy, talk about a, a good slap across the face, huh? But that's, that's what the literary world is like. And there's another one he got, Arthur White Jr., another editor of the Pulp Magazine, uh, another Pulp Magazine. And they used to call these things Pulp Magazines. They were, I don't even know how to describe a Pulp Magazine in today's world. Um, just, you know, very common, ordinary, um, non-literary stories. He wrote in this rejection letter to Gardner, Gardner wrote a story called Terror Island, which was a little too intellectual. He wrote, you know, our motto has always been good, easy reading. He who wants to study out what the author is driving at buys American Mercury or the Atlantic Monthly. Brr. I'm just remembering my time in New York now. Not not the work I did at Home Furnishings Daily, but some of the more lofty people I met at McGraw-Hill. <laughs> so one thing that this brings to mind is the the uh, visual that you, you usually like to paint, which is the money's on a teeter-totter. The more work that they have to do, the more chance of the money staying in their pocket, the more work that you do when and make it easy for them don't give them a headache in other words 
the more likely the money's going to flow down the teeter-totter to your end. So uh, a lot of times as copywriters, especially newbie copywriters, we want to show off our incredible vernacular and we want to show them all the, the hoity-toity words we know. And as an experienced copywriter, you know, short sentences, single idea sentences, single idea paragraphs, and, and cut out all the $10 words. And these are things that a lot of writers, both fiction and copywriters, it, it, it takes them a while to learn. It does. You want to show off how literary you are until you realize that's not your job, you know? So I was on as an interviewee on a podcast with Sam Carlson and uh, Phil Graham. They have sort of, it's a Facebook podcast, but they wanted to have me on to talk about copywriting last week. And it was a great time. And one thing I said, which I don't know if I've ever quite said it this way before, but it, it really makes your point, Nathan, in a, real concise way. And that is copy should be invisible. You don't, you don't want to see that it's copy. You don't even want people to look at how good the writing is. You want people to just get into it and, and not realize that they're reading, but get totally transported into the message. And I think ultimately into the imaginary experience of having the product so that when they finish the letter, if they don't buy it, that's the biggest takeaway at all. That their their dream of whatever it is, um, shooting eagles and birdies instead of three over par, or um, meeting women, or um, being able to do good woodworking so that their father would have been proud of the, whatever it is that that dream is gone unless they buy the product. Mm-hmm. And. Just a closing thought from me on on our way out. A, a good story, a good TV show pulls you in and makes you not realize that you're... It, it, it takes control of the steering wheel. And that's what our copy is supposed to do. We want to take control of the narrative. We want them to be able to just fall into our sales copy the way that they would fall into a good novel or fall into a good TV show. And we want to deliver them to a buy now decision. And the more they have to think, the more of a headache our copy gives them, the less likely they're going to get to that point. So all of this, it, it's, it's meant for writing a good TV show or writing a good uh, fiction book, but it all definitely applies to sales copy. Okay, so I'm going to do something I've never done before and I'll probably never do again. I'm going to issue Nathan's first commandment, take control of the steering wheel. There you go. David, what was the name of the book again? And who was it that told you about this? Yes, the great Scottish copywriter, Colin, A-list copywriter, Colin Joss, J-O-S-S, Joss. Where does he live? Aberdeen or I don't even remember which city, but I, I only know him by email. He's, he's a fantastic guy. And the book is called, let me look it up here, Secrets of the World's best-selling writer, the storytelling techniques of Earl Stanley Gardner by Francis L. and Roberta B. Fugate. And the good thing about this book, obviously it was written a long time ago, um, it's been issued as a Kindle. And on this Kindle book, you can actually cut and paste. I don't think most of them you can, but for some reason you can on this one. So yeah, you can get it for 10 bucks on, on Amazon. 
at least in the U.S. I've heard from foreign listeners, international listeners, that sometimes you can't get the Kindles that you can get in the U.S. and other countries. And for that, I say, take a vacation, you know, uh, visit Colorado, see, see what Nathan enjoys all year long and bring your computer in. In the process, you can download a copy of this book. There you go. David, any idea what we got coming up on the next episode? I don't, but we may have a very special guest. I need to, I need to reach back and touch base with him. Um, he's offered to come on at any time, but you know, schedules being what they are, can't. So, I, I guess I'll have to say it the way Earl Stanley Gardner would have said it: the case of the mysterious next episode. Nice. All right. Well, until then, make sure that you're getting your copywriters podcast fix over at copywriterspodcast.com. And we'll catch you later. See you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.